Live podcasting. I can start if you if you want. Um, sure. So you know I. I like the media for a couple um, a couple of reasons. One, I think that um, we're actually used to talking to one another a lot more than we are um, as engineers used to, to writing out what we have. Um, I also think that it's it's for a small team um, it takes a lot of extra effort to go through documentation, but um, you can sit in, sit in a meeting and, and and explain your thoughts and things like that um, sometimes a lot a lot quicker um, than you can. Just uh, then, then, then it takes you to sort of write them all out, especially if you if you don't really know what your audience is. Um, and so for podcasting, we can we can get a couple of benefits. Uh, one, we can explain what we're doing, what we're what we're on about. Um, we don't put uh, a lot of extra um, weight on on an already small and stretched team um, by having to do a bunch of evangelism and, and documentation. That's sort of extra from what documentation we're already working on. Um, and I think that the media is, is a way to reach people um, at times where they can actually pay more attention. You know, when, when, you're, when you're going through an email and you get a, a you know... A, There's an engagement side. Yeah, and you get like a 10-page newsletter, but you're on your way to a meeting. All you're going to do is read the, the headlines and you might come back and read something. Whereas with a podcast, you know, they can take a 30-minute podcast, uh, play it back in 15 minutes... Uh, throw it in while they're driving home or driving to work or walking around, you know, taking their 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 lunch walk or something like that, and and they, you know, you 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 engage with the podcast, um, and I think that that's uh, for us especially um, a way where we can uh, we can get our ideas across um, and and have a have a, an actual relationship with with our audience. And I think I think it's an easier consumable, right? It's a uh, like you said, you can you can take the podcast with you and listen to it when when you want. So there's a benefit to that. I I listen to some podcasts myself, you know, on the way to a coffee shop because it's just easier to consume instead of reading an email. Um, plus, you you sort of understand the personalities of the people much better when you're listening to them speak. Um, it, there's more of a live essence to the discussion because you could ramble on about things and make mistakes and realize these people are really human. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of, of having the podcast. Are you sure you're human? <laughs> I try to be. It, he's, he's, he's a DBA. He's only half human. Uh, I, I think there's a uh, there's something to um, the, the podcast as a, as a type of media for capturing. Uh, I think the the type of you know the type of discussion we're trying to have around um, whether it's uh, you know I mean especially when we're talking about the future right it, it's it, you know, a lot of times you're dealing with um, with the discussion right or, or questions that don't have firm answers um, and that's difficult to represent in written form without it looking like architecture which is not which is not what you know. I think we're we're after here, right? If you're talking about what's out there in the industry, where are we going, where where what technology we're looking at, what um, uh, or even some you know some new um, you know architecture we're exploring for some for some business value in, in you know either of the sites, it's still sort of this information future discussion trade-off back and forth, and in, in, in the podcast, I think you know can capture that a lot better than trying to. Uh, put that down in, in, in a written form, which 
generally um, is better for, pres for presenting, I guess, uh, the, the answers. Uh, you know, this, this is where we're going, this is why we're going there. Um, and I think this, this captures the dialogue a lot better. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that I've always uh, found interesting about new technology is that there, there's a far more questions to it than there are answers, right? And, and you, you make choices based on trying, you know, talking about what you think is going to be right, realizing that everything is, is, is a choice. I, I think sometimes when we get um, down a product roadmap, our choices are, are sort of limited at that point. You know, we know what we're going to build, we know what, we know what our Legos are, we know what colors they even have to be, and, and, and we pretty much already know how we're going to put them together. It's just a matter of, of, of actually taking the, um, you know, the paint by numbers or the, the Lego, you know, picture and putting it together. But with new technology, we're, we're never quite sure what the Lego does, <laughs> right? And you're not quite sure whether it'll do, do it the way you want it to or not. And so, so there's all kinds of decisions you have to make, you know, just to, to tell a story, you know, just in the last week, um, we, we decided to pick up a technology that we looked at a little bit um, a couple years ago and, and put back down again. Um, because they've made big strides in um, a conversation that you asked us for, Kyle, which was around, um, you know, are there alternatives for uh, for sequel? You know, is, is it is it really no sequel or sequel, or is there sequel with some other stuff that we may not have thought about before? Um, and and out of that, we we went back and, and revisited some work we've done, and, and lo and behold. Um, one of the technologies that we said you know wasn't quite ready for prime time looks like it has has primed up quite a bit and 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 will actually play into that. Um, but you're always sort of surprised and you never quite know ahead of time. And and, and you know to to go through all the effort of, of doing white papers on everything that's out there, it, it's like you said, it reads like architecture. And I think part of the benefit of this this podcast, especially for the ATG, is whoever's listening is getting an insight into how. Brian and I both kind of work together as far as, you know, we're on opposite sides of the, of the country, but our means of communication is through Skype like this. And, you know, we have many, many discussions for lengthy periods of time collaborating on ideas. We bounce ideas back and forth, and especially, you know, this initial podcast is ex exactly like that. You know, we ask a question and we start talking about things and uh, collaborate that way. And it's a, it's a unique way of working because uh, we don't see each other physically, but uh, we do talk a lot. And I think that kind of brings out, the podcast brings out, you know, the best of what we do. And that's to discuss things. All right. So then, so um, I guess one last question before we, we wrap it up. Um, so, you know, podcasting itself, um, you know, had sort of a, a heyday in the, in the 2008 to 2010, and then it kind of kind of backed off a little bit, um, and now it's seeing a resurgence again. Um, it's actually uh, the curve the curve for adoption is picking back up. Um, why, do, why do you think that is, generally speaking? You know, um, in other words, uh, it, it is itself become a technology that has come back around to become new again, and, and why? Um, I, again, I think from my perspective, it, it, it's a consumable product. It's easy to consume, and I think with the, the the advantage of, of the new mobile devices that are out there is it's easier to to um, to podcast and, and consume it more so than say five or six years ago. Yeah, once they allowed you to download over cellular, 
<laughs> I mean, it, it's, a, it's a lot easier to, to listen to you know, your favorite podcasts. You could throw them up in the cloud if you haven't heard them. You, you can listen to them anywhere now. It's, it's a lot easier. All right, and uh, so Kyle, uh, sort of a question for you. Um, how do you want um, us to, to uh, sort of grow the show um, to go beyond just, just ATG, which you know I, I've already got probably five or six episodes worth of, of stuff that I think ATG can talk about. But um, what do you think we should should do to grow this to be to the larger team, and you know, um, and and you know maybe set a, set a, do we set a target of killing off the GPI newsletter and, <laughs> and have everybody come to the podcast or, or what? Um, <clears throat> no, I, I just think it's an alternate form of. Um, of media for reaching reaching that target audience and lifting lifting that engagement and understanding of what's going on throughout the org. I think it's it, it may it may only be ideal for a certain um, cross section of the org. Um, you know, like I, I think the GPI newsletter is probably probably helpful for for some people, right? It, it's 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 you, you got an accomplishment. Hey, we did this. We've got a graph to show. We've got a picture. We've got you know. Hey, that's great. That's all good stuff, right? Um, Generally, that's not it's not the media we're trying to um, communicate over, and uh, I think uh, you know it could. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to, to try to start it with our team um, and bring different people on uh, with, with with some other topics and see how that works. Right? See how okay, we can talk. You know, new technology is sort of an interesting one uh, that fits really well. I think we've we've identified that. But what about? What about some of the architecture uh, efforts that are going on uh, around around the um, uh, on the different sites? Right? Are, are they are they going to you know kind of carry over in the same way? Um, you know, and, and add to uh, you know add to to the content that we can record and, and, and put out there. I, I don't I don't know. I would I would assume I would assume so, but sometimes you don't know until you actually put it together and see what you've got. And then, and then, and then you go from there to okay. There's probably different people within different, like I said, the cross section of the org that are working on more R and D type stuff, right, or futuristic stuff. And and how does you know bring them in, maybe even to just you know, describe some of the challenges that are out there, what or where the stuff, some of the stuff they're looking at, and having dialogues on on uh, some of these topics. Like that may even be a mechanism to encourage the sort of, uh, you know, the adoption dance that we want to have with these teams in terms of, hey, let's, let's have this conversation about the future of databases at, at, at PayPal or, or at GPI, right, and SQL, and where are we going, and have, you know, some folks on from Seamus' team to talk with us about that. That might be an interesting way to both create something that engages uh, beyond just that discussion, but also brings people into that discussion in a way that's, um, you know, that's helpful for, for the guests that we're bringing on as well. Hi, uh, everyone. This is uh, Arno and Ryan uh, doing another one of our podcasts. Um, today, we're going to talk about Luster. Um, probably heard of Luster. Uh, ATG is using it in one of our deployments, specifically on the Babar cluster that we have. And so, Ryan, i um, going to ask you a few questions. Cool. Let's start out with, uh, what is Luster? Um, so, Luster is a uh, cluster file system, um, and it is, uh, it's pretty much designed for general purpose uh, clustering. Um, 
where your cluster can go from anything from uh, just needing space all the way up to a to a high performance, um, really fast, very very large file um, compute compute type cluster. Um, it's it's basically a, a an architecture for um, growing storage um, at an independent rate than which you grow your rest of your cluster, so that that the file system itself can can um, morph just just as your your needs um, morph in the environment. Um, it's it's probably best known as one of the uh, the largest high performance computing clusters in the world. Um, I think it's it's currently number one, or it was number one last time I checked, um, with the largest number of of petabytes in a single file system um, accessed by the largest number of computers. Um, but what people don't realize about it is that it's um, it's designed to scale both capacity and performance um, any which way you want, um, and it can actually provide you a way to uh, to maintain a POSIX environment, um, which is what what Unix wants uh, for file access, uh, but uh, with any kind of availability or performance you want for any number of of systems accessing it simultaneously, um, without um, without the locking and single points of failure problems that, that things like NFS have. I hear Livermore Labs has a 100 petabyte uh, luster file system in place. Is that, is that what, is that correct? Uh, yeah, they do. Um, they're, and, and not only that, it's, it's, uh, it's backed by ZFS, uh, making it the, uh, the currently the, the largest, uh, file system in the world. Um, and ours is actually based on that. Our, our, our luster implementation is also uh, ZFS backed now. Awesome. So, why why do you think Luster is important, uh, spe uh, specifically to what it can bring uh, towards uh, eBay Inc.? I think that that uh, for a long time we've been looking for a way that we could tie everything together. Um, and of course, you know, at fifty thousand feet, storage seems like the right place. And and you know, we went through um, a shared storage revolution uh, in the you know late nineties, early two thousands, um, which. Uh, got us a, a long way with the sand, but it, it, it didn't meet all needs, and it, and it came with a bunch of uh, of other mm -hmm. problems. And then, you know, as cloud has come into play, you, you see a movement at, at the object layer um, for sort of retrieving general objects, and then you see a movement at the block layer for providing storage for virtual machines. And and there was a play again in the middle to sort of share that, but um, there's nothing that's been sort of ubiquitous that allows. Um, all applications to just basically get at the storage at once. Um, instead, what you do is you end up having you know copies all around, and 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 you spend a lot of time doing deduplication and things like that. Um, when when we were designing the analytics cluster, we knew that we would have to be able to to look at different types of data from. Uh, many different applications. You know, we might use MySQL to do uh, some analysis. We might uh, use something like Hive um, to do some analysis on it. We might uh, transform it a little bit and then um, and then run you know generic scripts on it or event mm -hmm. off it and things like that. And, and e each one of those would have required us to um, to copy the data in some fashion. And and so I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. Um, we've always had NFS, but NFS has sort of been a convenience. Um, it's not, it's not great for, for high-end workloads. Um, and it certainly doesn't support multiple, uh, tenants at the same file level. So I went looking for something that, that, um, would meet that need and, and, and Luster, um, bubbled up to the top, uh, really quickly when, when we started looking at it. 
So you you did mention NFS. So why why would you want to use Luster instead of NFS or just straight block storage? Well, NFS is definitely easy to use. Um, you can't you can't argue with that. It's sort of it's sort of ubiquitous and simple, um, but it's sort of ubiquitous and simple. And what I mean there is um, it, it sort of meets a base need of making something available to lots of, of different things, but it doesn't try and optimize um, the mechanism by which you access it. It doesn't try and optimize storage. It's certainly not very parallel. Um, and so you get um, not only single points of failure, um, but you also get uh, a throughput problem when you're trying to access multiple things. Now, NFS, to its credit, has come a long way, and, and people have been working on parallel implementations of NFS and things like that for a while, um, and for other uh, types of, of, of uh, internet file systems. But um, but what we're going for here is is actually block level, um, and so they, the access is much faster. Um, in, in our cluster, for example, we use RDMA um, bypassing a, a stack altogether and doing direct memory. Uh, allocation uh, device to device so you know as far as the the operating system mounting uh, the file system is concerned it's direct access as if that uh, file system was native um, which means that you can do all kinds of cool things like uh, um, local lock cluster-wide locking um, you can create semaphores you can you can create um, sockets all the all those kinds of things that are available in the POSIX um, spec, uh, including multiple thread, asynchronous IO, um, buffered and unbuffered writes, all, all of those things are available to you. Um, and and uh, you can actually control them at the client level uh, where, or at the server level, whereas with NFS, uh, you're, you're sort of relying on the backend storage on the server side uh, to meet your needs. Um, and, and, you know, uh, if you've got something that needs a lot of power and performance, um, sharing alongside, you know, a hundred other machines that just need to access the storage, um, you're, you're not going to get the performance on the one hand uh, for the ubiquity or uh, the ubiquity is going to suffer because one guy is out there uh, chewing up all your bandwidth all the time. So um, you don't have those problems uh, with, with Luster. So this, this is actually, um, you know, something that we worked on um, that we call the, the folding space um, analogy where you could have actually one file being written by, let's say, MySQL, like a, a CSV file written by MySQL, and you could have another uh, application actually read from it or write from it or write to it at the same time. Uh, is that that's possible with Luster then? Yeah. Um, so the the idea for folding space was uh, we wanted to to sort of separate the data at rest on on the file system from. Uh, what we were calling overlays, uh, which are ways of getting at it. So if you, uh, the example we like to use when we, we were talking about it with people is take a take a common file format for, for data, uh, the CSV file, uh, the comma-separated uh, version. Um, this is a file format. It's, it's uh, well understood by lots and lots of different uh, um, overlays, whether that overlay is, is as simple as, as uh, you know, a shell scripted file operation. Um, it could be middle of the road like uh, Microsoft Excel or something like that. And it can go all the way up to uh, databases like uh, Vertica and MySQL, uh, Oracle, um, and, and even into uh, larger distributed um, data systems uh, like uh, Hadoop with, with Hive or HBase and things like that where they can um, actually access these files all at once. So what we said was, look, if you have your data at rest in this particular type of format that's understood by all these different uh, overlays, then what you can do is um, 
utilize locking and, and file system semantics to allow uh, multiple different, essentially, clients of the same physical file. Um, and that, that's exactly what we've built. We, and, and, and we use Luster to be able to, uh, to provide us the, the POSIX semantics um, that were necessary to, to be able to get there. Um, and we have tested it, and it does work, um, uh, it, it, even in that particular case that we mentioned. Um, we've done it with with uh, simultaneous access between uh, shell scripts, MySQL, Vertica, um, and, and HBase all at the same time uh, against the same file, and it, and it worked fine. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned CFS a little earlier. I know we have uh, some large CFS installations at Trinity, spe specifically um, where we've deployed CFS on the file systems. How how does it play into um, on the Luster side of the equation? Um, well, Luster up until um, uh, until Livermore got a hold of it um, at about version 2.2, um, was backed by uh, ext4, um, well, a modified ext4 that they called LDiskFS, uh, Luster Disk File System, um, uh, which was fine, um, but it had some limitations uh, that, that grew out of the, uh, the Linux file system um, stuff. Um, most notably, uh, LUNs were limited to about 16 terabytes each. Um, because uh, the file system underlying uh, was inode-based uh, for allocations, then you could actually um, cause problems by uh, having millions and millions of small files um, would take up the exact same amount of space as millions and millions of big sp big files because of the inode um, exhaustion problem. And, and so um, some of those things kind of kind of limited um, what Luster could do. Um, Livermore saw that that was uh, a problem, um, and they went uh, looking for sort of the next generation file system uh, on the disk level to, to be able to answer that. Um, and ZFS, uh, which you know as we've used for a while, combines volume management and file system management into um, a very simple to use tool um, that that is also very efficient. Supports um, snapshotting and 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 uh, mirroring uh, different types of RAID. It's it's uh, error error proof. Um, can be recovered, exported, shared, um, all those kinds of things. So um, by marrying the two in the current current generations of Luster, um, you get sort of the best of both worlds. You get a you get a 128-bit on-disk uh, file system, uh, which essentially removes all limitations for file size and, and LUN size um, altogether, as well as removes uh, inode-based uh, allocations. So you can have as many files as you want or as few files as you want. Um, and then uh, uses that to share back out to uh, the wider world. That sounds good. So we've um, we've talked a lot about you know the ATG cluster Babar uh, by name. Um, maybe a little description of how we're actually doing a reference deployment of Luster um, would would be helpful to the listeners. Uh, sure. Um, so uh, Babar is uh, the name of our um, ATG's uh, data analytics cluster. Um, it was originally uh, designed as a test um, environment to demonstrate how um, Hadoop could be uh, modeled over top of shared storage. We decided to keep it around specifically to allow us to uh, answer one main type of problem that we hadn't seen being covered by the um, existing analytics um, solutions in the company, and that was places where you needed to uh, recombine data sets. 
but being able to approach it from uh, the things that we know best, which is in a distributed environment. So uh, Lustre was a key way of being able to do that. It, at any given time, we can approach um, a particular analytics problem either as a scale-out solution where we have lots of different nodes um, analyzing something, or we can uh, approach it from a single node uh, analyzing everything at once approach. Um, and as far as the actual data on disk, um, any node in the cluster sees exactly the same thing all the time um, because Lustre is what, what underlies uh, all of that, regardless of the, the type of physical uh, system that you're, you're using to solve a particular problem. Right. So where, where is uh, the bar currently located? It's in uh, Salt Lake City in, our, uh, uh, in the uh, Topaz data center there. Um, so I, I know, you know, people... Um, sometimes wonder why ATG specifically, you know, you and I uh, build things the way we do. So, what what's the actual deployment? What, how is the Babar cluster designed, and why is it designed specifically the way that that we did it? We had have had for a long time this idea um, of sort of a triumvirate of needs uh, when it comes to doing analytics. Um, there's this there's this need for an exploratory um, kind of ad hoc way of looking at things, whatever that thing you're looking at is, but you want to be able to sort of pick it up and turn it around and figure it out. Like the, uh, like the, the guys blindfolded coming up to an elephant, right? You want to be able to feel what's in front of you and twist it and turn it and try and, and, and understand it. So there's this, there's, there's that aspect of, of data analytics. And then there's this, um, this idea of being able to, uh, look in real time at what's happening right now and make a decision about it. Um, this sort of uh, third layer, which combines those two, um, where you want to be able to to, um, to ask sort of deeper questions about things, but you need to be able to get answers back um, in, a, in a reasonable amount of time. We took Babar as a way of trying to prove out all those three different things in, in, at, at one time. Um, and so we decided with Babar that we wanted to... to to look at data analytics as a problem generally and not one that was necessarily related specifically to a product. Okay. So um, one, of the, one of the ATG mandates was to look at new technology and future technologies and try to figure out, you know, how can we leverage those technologies to make eBay um, a more competitive uh, company in the, in the current marketplace. Um, how do you see Lustre fitting into... Um, uh, eBay PayPal as it sits today and, and where exactly do you see it fitting in and, and the benefits and, and more specifically to make it a, even a broader subject how can we how can we adopt it <laughs> yeah that's always a tough one how do you adopt it um, all right let me let me try and uh, see if I can speak to the first one first um, you know uh, I think we always have a need uh, for sharing more and more. Um, this this whole idea of GPI, for example, where ATG is currently located, um, the C3 uh, cloud um, infrastructure, which is an initiative to put everything onto the same same uh, infrastructure to, to reduce costs and, and, and to help uh, align all of our customers, regardless of which uh, business unit they come from. Um, we we still have that I think inside inside ATG as well and Luster I think is is a great place for that because it doesn't require um, software changes and API integration in order to be able to get at data like object storage does um, and it also doesn't require 
um, block provisioning for hundreds of nodes like um, well, like, like block sharing and solid fire and things like that do for virtual machines. It, it, it satisfies this, this realm of the middle where I've got a machine, I've got an application that's already written, or it's a third-party application that I've acquired and I can't make changes to. I want to be able to use it to look at uh, data of different types um, without things getting in the way, but I still want to be able to enforce whatever security um, and, and access controls uh, very granular that might be needed. And I think that is the place where, where Luster plays um, for us. Um, it, it also is great for the storage guys because it gives them one unified place to manage storage from, even though the file system is available in lots of different places. Uh, the file system supports uh, segmenting chunks of the file system off um, if you want so that, you know, uh, users for, for PayPal and something secure have access only to one chunk or one set of directories. Um, and then some other group, you know, with, with different access controls and different different needs has another. Um, and you can even tune the performance of those different sets of directories um, independently of one another um as well as the availability behind them and things like that so i think it i think it really is what people have been looking for for a long time it, it marries uh storage um centralized storage management with um operating system ubiquity um and posix compliance which uh every application ever written assumes um for the most part you know uh, hadoop hadoop is not posix compliant um and so you're forced into its ecosystem it's a good ecosystem but if it doesn't do what you want it to do then you're back to writing software again um and so you know one, one of the questions we had one time was well you know i've got this this chunk of documents um in hadoop but i really want to run mongo against it and so now you've got this project where you're sucking data back out um, of HDFS and and or or putting it into a, a set of directories in HDFS and then allowing Mongo to come in, um, copy it over and do its own thing. This this is a case where you you could have solved that instantly. You could have just said here, point your Mongo at the at these files, the same ones that are just sitting there, and 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 HDF uh, and Hadoop nodes can use them. Mongo could use them. It's already already there. You don't have to copy it. You've got you know. Um, it's it's really is ubiquitous and it really is simple. Um, yes, it is HPC. Yes, it is a little bit complex um, to set up, but uh, that's all on the server side. On the client side, it's very simple. It's it's it it's a simple mount command and it looks very much like mounting an NFS share. That's awesome. Uh, um, any further thoughts on on Luster or? You pretty much said everything you needed to say. Well, you you, you asked me how to adopt it, and I, I kind of dodged that part of the question. So let me let me try and answer that a little bit. Um, first and foremost, I don't think that the right way to adopt anything, uh, Luster included, is uh, by edict or um, by sort of a blanket decision. Rather, what I think the right thing to do is um, is to build out a Lustre file system somewhere um, through through uh, uh, you know groups that are are early adopters and they're easy to find right. There's always a group out there that that has uh, a little bit different kinds of needs. Um, they've got excited developers. Um, they've got a good agile schedule and they're willing to to work to, uh, to to find something new. We 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 have those those folks as clients of ours on the Babar environment all the time. They're easy to find. We get we build a we build a small cluster for those folks um, and then we let it grow organically. The, the great thing about Luster is you don't have to go out there and build a hundred petabyte file system at once, right? Um, you can start with, you know, the hundred terabytes that's needed to support these folks. And then two weeks later or two months later, when somebody else comes on and says, well, we need a petabyte 
there's no changes. You just add the petabyte and it shows up, right? There's, there's no rebooting. There's no mounting anything different. You just build your extra storage and there it is. It shows up in the file system. Um, and you can continue to grow that. That's, that's one of the th- great things about it. There's not this uh, constant LUN remapping and, and, and port provisioning and all this kind of stuff that comes with, with uh, storage area network frameworks with block storage. Um, and there's not this, this constant worry about I.O. rebalancing and network bandwidth um, control uh, that comes with with having uh, you know hundreds of different uh, uh, of NFS heads um, in different things for different parts of the file system, so that you've got you know 250 different mount points uh, because you're trying to scale your data across you know 200 different uh, servers. All of that is is hidden. It, it really is the best of both worlds. But I think the right way to adopt it is 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 organically. We start with some early adopters uh, and let the word of mouth spread. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it because everything that we are doing is uh, very um, early adopter-like. Even for us, we're, we're early adopters of some t- new technology and trying to figure out how they can fit in, even the stuff we're doing. Um, so, well, thanks a lot for your time, Ryan. Um, this has been another episode with uh, the ATG group, Ryan and Arno. And if you have any further questions, you can email us. Music